Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business for another week. Today's guest on our interview is Kent Billingsley. Now, he's the founder and the president of Revenue Growth Company. He has been known or is called America's Revenue Growth Architect by helping thousands of entrepreneurs and small businesses literally representing hundreds and thousands of employees, generate billions in new sales and revenues. So he has personally designed, built, transformed, as he calls it, turbocharged thousands of organizations in over 36 countries. And he's done that by being really precise in the process, the sequence as he talks about of how you create revenue, how you build sales machines. Really interesting conversation. I enjoyed this very much. Uh, I liked it for lots of reasons, but the main one is his thinking around the structure of selling, the structure of how you build a highly profitable, fast growth company is very similar to my thinking. You know, I often say that structure and process systems, you know, combined with the right people in the right seats is the stuff that's going to get you to where you want to be. And what we talk about today is is four parts of, of a machine that he has built, really, which talks about the phases that any business needs to go through. And as you all know, one of the peaks that I talk about in the six peaks of value creation is predictability. Uh, I think that when we have this conversation, Kent explains that extremely well with a very, very thorough process. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. We're also going to talk about his new book, which is called Entrepreneur to Millionaire, How to Build a Highly Profitable Fast Growth Company and Become Embarrassingly Rich Doing It. Now, I did say to him through the interview, well, millionaire and embarrassingly rich don't quite correlate with me because I would be thinking embarrassingly rich would be a billionaire. So we have a little bit of a, a backwards and forwards on that, which is just a bit of fun. So there we have it. Um, You're going to love this. You're going to enjoy it. You'll get a heap of different actions, insights, perspectives to apply to your business. So welcome to the show, Kent Billingsley. Okay. Hello, everybody. Nick Bradley here again. Another fantastic interview. Another great guest to inspire you, to educate you, to give you all sorts of tips and strategies about growth and scale up. I am joined today by Kent Billingsley. Now, he's the founder and president of Revenue Growth Company. He's become America's revenue growth architect. We'll get into that by helping thousands of entrepreneurs, small businesses generate billions in new sales and revenue. And he has personally designed, built, transformed, turbocharged over a thousand organizations in 36 countries, done a heap of different stuff. And his new book, Entrepreneur to Millionaire, How to Build a Highly Profitable, Fast Growth Company and Become Embarrassingly Rich Doing It. Welcome to the show, Kent. Hey, Nick. How you doing? I love great book titles, right? And um, we were just talking before we press record about I've got a book coming out and um, I'm just playing around with it. But 
let's just start on this, right? Become embarrassingly rich. So, so when you came up with that, because you must have gone backwards and forwards with the um, the publisher, the, the publisher on this. <laughs> Take us through the thinking. What was the? You thought you yeah, know what? You let's know, just call it out. There, there, there was a whole process. I used focus groups and a lot of my CEO friends, and we talked through it. And and it, it's interesting how. Um, people want to become rich, but there's a there, that it's been cliched, it's been hijacked. It can kind of be cheesy. Even even the word millionaire has been hijacked. And so um, I, I wanted to to tone it down a little bit and say, you know what, that that should be your goal. You you should work to get seven figures in your bank account, but you don't have to tell anybody, and you don't have to. Uh, drive the the expensive sports cars. We have a we have kind of a saying in Dallas, Texas, the uh, the thousand dollar millionaire. They 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 drive around in leased cars and they uh, they live in small apartments, but they're the first one to valet. And they- <laughs> I call that the um, we call that the fakepreneur. Oh, the fake like literally the fakepreneur. Same thing though, isn't it? Like yeah, they haven't yeah. really got a Lamborghini, but you can get a Lamborghini for like three hundred bucks for an hour. Yeah, yeah. And the old the old school was big hat and no cattle from Texas, and so <laughs> oh, I like that. I, I like I like yeah the the part of the world you're from. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine some of the stuff that you know, go big or go home. But um, yeah, I mean, I like it because I think, well, the, the question that comes to mind firstly is what does embarrassingly rich mean? Because it's different. So you've mentioned yeah. seven figures there. Uh, I, you know, I know people have got eight, nine, 10 figure, so billionaire aspirations. Yeah. So I suppose it's, it's, it's kind of subjective to some extent, but when you say that, you know, who are you really talking to? So who's the ideal person? Is it the person who wants to become a millionaire? Is that the person you're trying to appeal to? You know, today it's, it's it's an interesting game because of COVID. It's it's not just the one that wants to become the millionaire, but really I'm, I'm talking to the person that needs to get seven figures in the bank to get them through yeah. these tough times. That tens of thousands of businesses have been wiped out. And it's the fact they never learned how to create wealth with their business. They, they never got that seven figures or eight figures uh, in, into their bank for that, that not rainy day, that rainy year that we're going through. And so um, that's really the target of the book because- I'll give you a statistic, Nick, that's just frightening. 98% of all entrepreneurs and business is um, they, they actually struggle with cash, cash flow, not enough cash on hand, inconsistent uh, uh, cash flow. They, they have no working capital. That was pre-COVID. And, and so those, those business owners, those entrepreneurs, when the, the COVID has hit, uh, they, they didn't have any runway and, and, and they're being taken out of business. And, and we're as markets and countries, we're, we're missing and losing out a lot of great products and services because they'll be gone forever because, because the, the entrepreneur, the business owner, um, the CEO, they didn't understand how to create wealth. They, they understood how to start, run, and grow a business like we were all taught and someday you'll be successful. That someday didn't come. And, and, and I'm, I'm now, what I'm teaching and preaching and selling is that You've got to learn how to create wealth in your business. You've got to learn how to make money without spending money because even if we get through the pandemic, there'll be another crisis. There always is two to three a a decade. What's your, um, I want to get into this in more detail because that, you know, that making money without spending a heap of money and how you kind of get a good ROI. Let's focus the, the conversation today on that. But before we do that, let's, let's hear a little bit about your background, Kent. So, you know, the, the, the 10 years, let's say before you got into what you're doing now, if, if, you know, you might've been doing this for years, but take us through that kind of journey. Yeah, I actually had, had come up through the corporate ranks and, uh, and, and I, I got to share this with you because it's so important. I, I fast tracked through a lot of large corporations. I became a, uh, uh, a chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer of a billion dollar tech services firm 
in my 30s. And, and, and it was, wasn't because I was the corporate, uh, uh, so corporately smart. I was entrepreneurial. I, inside the companies, I would I would find problems instead of like most employees bitching, moaning, and whining. I'd go figure so out. That's called um, that's called being an entrepreneur. I think is the sexy title for that these days. Well, you know, and that's when you go off and kind of start a skunks work project or you take on uh, something on your own. I was I was more just entrepreneurial, where I you know if I was in sales or if I was in a particular role, I just go you know that's what that's what's hurting our sales. That's what's causing a problem. We've got the wrong strategy. Uh, marketing's not pulling their weight, and I would go fix it or I'd go help out, or I'd raise my hand, and I, they just kept promoting me. <laughs> Your story's the same as my story. I was the fix-up guy in private equity, so I did turnarounds. Yeah. And basically what that means is problem solving. You know, If you can solve complex problems or high-level problems yes. easily, then yeah. that's valuable. So a perfect note, because as I've looked through the entrepreneurial traits of the thousands of entrepreneurs we work for, one of them is not just problem solving because small business owners could do that. It's creative problem solving, solving problems without spending money or hiring people. And, 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 and you're absolutely right on. And, 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 and that helped me progress. And then, so gosh, I go back 25 years. Um, one of the companies I was in, the leader said, look, you're, you're great at optimizing sales organizations and, and transforming sales organizations. Would you do that on the enterprises? And, and so they allowed me to form a team, go back into the strategic business units and help optimize. And, and here was the big aha. It, and I first took the team into the best business unit we had operating. And we operated all over the world. We operated in England. We operated uh, all over. This was uh, EDS with part of General Motors. And I went in the best business units. And it was amazing, almost jaw-dropping how much potential they had. The, the sales, the revenue and profits. And they were barely tapping the surface. They, they, were, they were barely unlocking the potential. But that was this more for more. And, that, and the whole approach was always, well, if I hire more, spend more, burn more, eat more, I'll get my growth. You do, but you eat up all your profits, your wealth, your cash. And, and, and that mantra, Nick, is fascinating. It's still around today. It's, it's more for more, spend money to make money. Uh, it's all about growth. And, and, and I'm on a crusade to attack that and say, no, it's all about profitable growth. And, and so I've been doing this for 25 years all over the world, helping companies and entrepreneurs and business owners understand you, you have to learn how to make money without spending money. But, but it's not simple secrets or techniques. It, it, it really is a roadmap. It's a methodical process to optimize a business. And just to bring this in, because I think I know the answer, but I won't um, you know, try and jump ahead too much. But if you, I take it, you don't work with these Silicon Valley, bolder tech businesses that are pre-profit, you know, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. Because like, for example, I mean, I'm, we were talking before offline about Clubhouse, which is an app at the moment. Uh, it's going to, it's already got a valuation of a billion dollars. It doesn't make any money, right? But it's huge engagement. I take it your model doesn't necessarily replicate to that. You're talking about the more Traditional businesses, it'd be good to understand the, yeah, the, who so, it helps. So we have we have a few clients from time to time, and I'd say probably half the portfolio is tech companies because they're under such pressure to grow. Um, and, and if they can make the profits or not burn the profits, the valuations go through the roof. So I, we do get clients on occasion, and their whole point is, Kent, whatever dollar I make or you help us find, we're going to reinvest it back in the company because I don't care if I show any profit or not. They're, they're on a, what, I, what I call a market crusade or, or a, 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 a market share crunch. And, and so their window, their valuation is to get that market share before somebody else. So, so 
there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, and I, you bring up a great point, Nick, and a, and a point I want to make. I never tell anybody what their goals should be. I, I, I never tell an entrepreneur, you know what, it's all about richness and wealth and big cars or big houses and, and fancy cars. If, if that's your thing, that's <laughs> your thing. Uh, I care more about the employees. I, I'm saying, what are you doing for the employees and what are you doing for the community? How, how are you making the world better? And, and, and how are you helping your employees become millionaires so they can retire with peace of mind or they can get through crises like this if they get laid off? And, and, and so I never say that, hey, you have to have a profitable company or, oh, you can only grow so fast. I'm, I'm really all about helping you understand how do you bring the most value to the market and then how do you get paid a fortune to do it? Got it. Okay, well, let's get into it because <clears throat> I thought that would be your answer too, by the way, and I have a very similar experience to that. Pathway to profit is another indicator of value, not necessarily being profitable, but the businesses that don't understand that, understand the journey of what that looks like, they're the ones that are precarious, but that's my personal view. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into it. So take us through the model because, you know, you said before the outset of this conversation was, you know, creating, creating revenue without spending a lot of money right? Being efficient, being effective, focused on profit. So take us through how you do that. Yeah. And, I, and I'll start with the, the premise that, that too many companies follow today. And that is, if I offer a great product, an awesome service, a wow customer experience, I'm going to be successful and make money. Those days are gone. <laughs> that, I call that the golden key to the, to the padlock. That boy, if I just had a better product or I just had a better service, and they just pour so much time, energy, and money into thinking, Product superiority is the solution today. Those, those days are gone. Everybody's got a great product, a great service, a wow customer experience, or they've almost been wiped out, if not wiped out. What I'm, what I'm saying today is there's no longer a, a, a padlock to the wealth that's inside your company. It's a, it's a combination lock today. It, it, it's, it's a series of steps. It's a series of actions. It's a series of things you have to do to go through to prepare your company to be optimized for profitable growth. And, 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 and so the model, the roadmap is all about taking that, you know, the classic model of, let's say, start, growth, maturity, decline, that classic life cycle model. And I say, yeah, that's a good model. That was great to kind of measure where companies are, but it doesn't help companies create wealth. And so my model is four phases and it's centered around becoming revenue ready. And, and, and revenue ready is, is how is a business uh, prepared to solve a marketplace problem? How, how are they designed to deliver a model in a unique or differentiating fashion? And then where are the revenue streams that will make money doing that? And, that, that? and that's that first phase. And it's amazing how many companies, mature companies, billion dollar companies are off center or misaligned from just that phase. Let's, let's break this down. What, yeah. I, what I'd like you to do if this is cool. So just summarize, just give me the four phases, yep. right? And what we'll do is we'll go back and then go yep. deep into each of them so we can see the headline first. So what are the four? Yeah, so the first phase is revenue ready and that's validating your place in the marketplace. The second okay. phase is now market ready. This is preparing your organization to make all the sales revenue and profits using the fewest resources. Go to market is now, okay, now you're in the fight. Now you're in the crusade. Now, now that the carnage, if you're not prepared, is happening. And, and it's sales and marketing and it's your, your pipeline management and it's your strategic partners. This is typically a money burn or cash where you're just burning through cash because it's an expense, not an investment. The fourth is now, how do you own a market? How do you, how do you find your segment, and your niche, and how do you become number one in that category? How do you own and dominate your competitors in that particular space? So those are, those are the four phases to work through. Yeah. Let's go back. So revenue was the first one, wasn't it? As you said, yeah. revenue. Revenue ready. 
revenue ready. That's yeah. right. Okay, let's go into that because I think okay. I've, I've already got a couple of questions around the sequencing, but we'll, I want to hear you go through the details. Yeah. So let's start with that first phase. So, what are you looking for? What what does great look like? Yeah, uh, and and kind of how does that work? So the first question I have, and and what's fascinating is. Uh, my clients, they understand I'm coming through, uh, through their world as a buyer. And the first question I have is, why do you exist? What, what, what problem do you solve and why does the marketplace need you? And, and Nick, it's fascinating. Most people really can't articulate that answer. <laughs> it's the first thing I ask. We, I used to work at Boston Consulting Group years and years okay. ago, and we yeah. used to call what you just described the killer equation. Okay. Yeah. There you go. But, get better, but, you know, but it's right. You know, you know, who, am I to, who am I really going to matter to? right? Yeah. What's the problem that they have and how is my solution remarkable or exceptional? You know, that, that was how we talked about it. Exactly. And, and, and that's downstream. I, I'm, I'm, I, I get stuck or my clients are always stuck back at, uh, well, well, why is that a problem? Why is the market underserved? Why is no competitor providing that solution set today? And, and so I give a lot of examples in the book to talk through. You, you've got to understand that disconnect in the marketplace because that's, that's where the money comes from. That's where the sustainable, fast growth uh, business comes from. It doesn't come from the product or service. It comes from solving the problem that's in the marketplace. And then you're absolutely right after that, Nick. Then we move into, okay, so let's say that is a problem. It's being understood. There is, there is market scope and scale. And so from there, what's your unique model or how are you going to solve it differently than anybody else? And, and, and those, are, those are tough questions that a lot of senior executives struggle to answer or, or worse, they have different answers. Well, I'll, I'll add something else to this, which I think is interesting <laughs> and topical, right? Because again, this is, this is very similar type of conversations I have. So I totally validate what you're saying yeah. is, you know, the world is accelerating, right? You know, the problem that may have existed six months ago may no longer be a problem. We've seen some of that, particularly with COVID, right? What I find is a lot of entrepreneurs, business leaders, they get so entrenched internally, right? They forget to look externally and they realize that their whole product solution might be obsolete because things have quickly changed. It wasn't like that a decade ago, certainly 20 years ago, uh, it, to the same extent, right? So just to add that, because I, oh, I think that's one of the big catches. I think I spent a page or a page and a half talking through uh, what I call fundamental marketplace problems evolve. And, 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 and that problem today or potentially that problem in the future could go away. And, and then all of a sudden your whole business model is upside yeah. down or it's askew and, and you'll never make the money that you could and should. The other, the other issue is uh, with a marketplace problem or what I call an FMP, uh, it becomes reframed. The, the marketplace uh, for, for social issues, technology issues, government regulations, they reframe it. Well, I saw the problem this way, but now I see it this way. And, and if your model doesn't support the way I want it, then I'm not going to pay you for it. And, 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 and I spend a lot of time with teams reframing uh, the problem because they, they, you have to do two, a couple, several things inside this first phase. And one of the most important is say, uh, I, I empathize with the problem you're dealing with. I get it. There is a problem. There's an opportunity. I get that. Um, and I understand how to fix it. I've got the solution set. But what you have to do there is, is, is provide the angle that says, but I can do it differently. I can do it faster. I can do it better. I can do it more cost effectively. I, I can bring a unique value proposition to the marketplace. And, and getting those two things, uh, the synergy just ignites everything else. That, that, that is really the genesis for how to create wealth inside a business. 
but it's not just knowing it. You've got to be able to articulate it, go uh, prove it, and then validate it. And that first phase, revenue ready, is all about validation. And what's your view then uh, at that phase of what is more important? If you had to choose one, and, and I'm going to ask you a question where they're both important, right? So it's not, <laughs> but is, is the message and the marketing more important than the actual product or the solution at that phase? Not necessarily overall, because obviously you haven't got a right. business if you haven't uh, got a solution. Um, well, actually, neither, because we're not at we're not at messaging yet, we're not at positioning yet. We're we're at, we're at validating and framing, and, okay. and and so here's what's interesting: everything's important, but there's a sequence, and 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 if if that's the only message this audience gets, I, I hope they get this one. There's a sequence, a, a chain of events you have to get through. Back to this combination lock, and 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 so it starts with the fundamental marketplace problem. Then, and, and that's not about you or the company, your product or service. Then it becomes your model. What, what's the best, most effective model to solve it? And so they're, they're both important because if, if you find the problem, but you get the model wrong, you're never going to create the wealth. Or if you get the, the problem wrong, any great model will do. And, 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 and so it's that sequence that sets it up. And, and uh, that, that's, that's the, that's probably the biggest aha. I hear clients come back to me and say, ah, okay, oh yeah, we, you've got to, you've got to go through the list methodically and validate and prove it before you go to the next one, because each step sets up the next uh, step for success or failure. Okay. Got it. Well, let's move on. So it was yeah. market ready now, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think through, I know ready's at the end of each of it, but I... <laughs> the first two. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so here's the phase that everybody skips. Here's the phase that, okay, there's a problem. I've got a, I've got a model and I, I know how to make a dollar doing it. Now, all of a sudden, they, they just jump in, in to go to market. They, they just jump into sales and marketing, promoting, SEO, digital, all this. And that then becomes a spend, not an investment. Now, all okay. of a sudden, there, there's this flurry of activities with people running around with their heads cut off and they're just burning cash. There is no greater profit shredder in a company than sales and marketing. And, 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 and so it would be like going on a crusade or going to war and never preparing, ne never getting organized, never, never uh, deciding the troops, where they should be, the strategies. They're, they're just, well, let's just go to war and fight the war. We've got guns, ammo, and soldiers. Let's just go. And, and I have to dial people back and say, well, look, how's it gone so far? Well, we burn a lot of money and we've created a lot of activities and we have this pregnant pipeline of prospects, but nobody's buying. I said, yeah, that's the problem. So market ready is all about uh, uh, several of the key principles that, that startups to billion dollar companies, you've got to go back and say, do I really understand my target audience? Can I segment it down to who, who is a perfect client profile? Who, who is that best client? And I'll share something with you, Nick, all the time. I said, tell me about your client base and they'll, they'll talk through it. A, a, a client will say, oh, but we have this one client we really love. And I said, why don't, why don't uh, you have a whole portfolio filled with them? And their answer is, well, you know, we don't always get them. We, we kind of have to take who we get. And I said, that's, that's a design flaw. Why don't you decide who you want and then, then design and build your company to go get who you want? And not start not and stop settling or stop accepting who's coming to you, and that's the targeting component of this to understand. But here's the problem: that's a, that's a hard mindset piece, though. I mean, uh, it, jump in it, on that because, like you know, again, it depends on business stage, right? And I and I and sometimes people hold on to that stage too long. Yes. But I've I've worked with them as you would have, where they say, "Oh yeah, but if I say no to this 
revenue, you know, scarcity comes in, I may not get another customer. So I'm going to now, you know, do something which I don't enjoy, which actually is really an opportunity cost. Yeah. That the emotional fear of missing out on something is so strong. It actually destroys wealth. And and so I actually have one of the, the, the areas in the book. I say targeting is not saying no, it's saying maybe. Targeting is where you actually invest. And, and, and the other areas, you'll welcome the business. You'll take business from someone that fits, that accepts your value proposition and things like that. And I share some stories about that. I, I love uh, big corporations. They write big checks, but they're also a big pain to deal with because they reorg, they change, they, the committee decides which team and then when we'll meet. I mean, it's, it just drives you nuts. So they don't fit my perfect client profile, but I, I enjoy working with them and, and I love the individuals. Um, and so you're absolutely right. It, but the problem is when you're all things to everyone, you're nothing to no one. And, and now all of a sudden, again, you're just burning resources, time and money. And, and so what makes this so challenging is, and I, I talked through in the book, that there's three things you have to do to, to validate your perfect client profile. You have to understand their demographics, which is pretty easy that the information and data is so accessible today. But then the next uh, step is you've got to validate their psychographics how your perfect client profile actually thinks and feels. And that's where it starts to get fuzzy. And then now, now the third thing is, what are the characteristics that you want to have? So that, that, that's the first major principle in market ready is now um, your perfect client profile, which then triggers what would be the packaging? How would you bundle your products and services to engage early and often and to scale up what you sell? And then from there, we move into now the message. How do you craft the messaging tools from uh, the name of the company, your, your, uh, uh, your logos, your symbols, your icons, everything in there should become a power messaging tool that both attracts and grabs. Just as you really connected with the word embarrassing in my um, subtitle, we want to use language and words to connect with people, to bring out those emotions and to be evocative in business. You can be provocative in other areas, but you got to be evocative in business. And, and then after the next step in, the, in there is now pricing strategies. And, and Nick, you know, um, most companies out there, they, they do a cost plus. Well, here's what, here's what my costs are. Here's what the market will bear. So I'll just do, I'll add 20%. That is not only the dumbest reason, that's the worst reason or worst strategy to ever price something. It has nothing to do with value, need, market, or anything. So those are the real principles in getting market ready before, or let me say it this way, Otherwise, you're, make, you're spending on sales and marketing. This is what turns it into an investment. So, so the, re, the reason why um, I was drawn to the word embarrassingly uh-huh. is that I, I couldn't correlate that word with the word millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough zeros. So I was thinking, hold on. No, I'm joking around. Um, no, okay. So I, I, totally get, I totally get what you're saying now in terms of, and I agree with the sequence and the sequence is absolutely important. The sequence is more important than the actual stuff that you're doing because you've got a, I know your whole premise is around making sure that you're not spending money where you aren't going to get a return, yep. but it's, to me, it's a little bit more than that. It's, it's, it's fundamentally the whole thing breaks. Like I, I define it a little bit like a, a finely tuned engine to use yep. that analogy, right? You know, yep. it's still going to work potentially a bit if, if things are there, if things aren't there, it could break. But if you get it tuned nicely, it's going to make a nice hum, right? And then, and then things start to really feel great. Yeah, because you're, and, and you're right on. That's a great analogy because what we're trying to do is get the greatest return. We're, we're trying to get the greatest thrust on the energy we put in just like an engine. And, and, and if those cylinders are out of sync or the timing's off, you still hear the motor run. 
you still get the heat and noise, but you don't go anywhere. <laughs> and that's where a lot of businesses are today. There's a lot of heat and noise, a lot of a flurry of activities, but they're not producing a lot of cash. They're not getting that profitable growth. No, they were, they're producing overwhelm. So before we move on to the go-to-market, yeah. um, let's have a chat about pricing for a second. So, because I like, I, like I, I do everything by value-based pricing, right? Uh -huh. And and I think a lot of people don't understand the concept of that. And I think certainly in the kind of consultancy world where a lot of people fail because they trade time for money, you know, they sit there and say, here's a day rate, right? And there's that really bad analogy again about you're not going to pay a dentist by the hour. <laughs> you, know, you, want to, you, want to, you want the tooth fixed within, well, you don't even want to be there for a minute, right? You just want it done. So what's your, what's your view on value-based pricing? Do you, do you recommend that? Because obviously it depends on the business, doesn't it, to some extent? Yeah, so I actually come at this from a, a kind of a unique angle where I see that as a component of your pricing. And, 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 and so um, I use lots of examples of where I actually encourage clients to, to give some things away for free. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I want them to do some things, maybe a, a pro bono or whatever, to where um, you're actually losing money. Things where you break even, things where there are a cost plus or what the market will bear, then the value base and then the extreme pricing. And, and I share lots of examples of companies over here. We have uh, what's called Costco. And uh, in Costco, they give samples away all day and th there's no limit. You can walk up and eat, you know, uh, 50 pieces of their sausages that they're, they're sharing that day. I, we call it the Costco buffet. You, you could feed a family of four in about 10 minutes in a Costco with their samples. So they give those away for free. That, that does cost <laughs> money. Uh, <laughs> that does cost I love that. money. Yeah, I, I, there is, it's not massive over here, but I have, they have, there's a Costco sort of, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 miles away. And I have been there and it's yeah. got the whole American culture thing going on <laughs> and it doesn't quite work too well in the UK, but you've got these guys standing there giving hot dogs away the size of like a foot yeah. and everyone's going, what, what is this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so two things, one of them is um, you, you kind of feel obligated when you get something for free, it's human nature. But the second thing is if you're hungry, you'll leave the store. And, 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 and so if they feed you, they keep you there longer. And, 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 and what people spend in Costco's is ridiculous. But uh, the, the next thing is then they actually lose money. They, uh, they sell $150 million worth of roasted chickens uh, a year and they lose, I think, $2 on every chicken. And, and I'm saying, and Costco is one of our most successful models over here. And I'm saying, you should do the same. You, you should offer things where you actually lose some money. Um, and, then, and, then, and then things you break even and so on. And then all the way up to those things. And Costco sells luxury yachts and boats and, and cars and homes. I mean, you can buy everything else in the world from them. Um, my whole point being is you should be using tiered pricing strategies and they should all be linked back to value. In, in, in other words, that thing you're giving away for free should be extreme value. It should be a high quality product. It should be a great customer experience. Everything about that should have high value all the way through the spectrum. The, 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 the perversion sometimes people get is, well, if I give it away for free, it, it shouldn't be very good. And I'm like, no, that's just the opposite. It's like you go to my website, um, revenuegrowthcompany.com, and you can get things for free. There's blogs, there's materials, there's videos, there's downloads. There's a lot of free material by design because I want you to taste and, and touch and, and, and get associated. And that's what I encourage a lot of companies to do. And, and most don't. Mo most have their product or service. And you're absolutely right. They trade that product or service or hours for dollars. And they don't use pricing as a as a strategy and a method to engage early and often and then retain clients forever. 
So what what you've again just to jump back on that before we move yeah. on to the next piece, what we've what we've talked about there, I, I, it's an ascending transaction model for me, um, which effectively is the same thing. It's a product ecosystem or a product service ecosystem. So what we're doing now, right now, is is part of my free, right? So scale up your business, the podcast. Yeah. It's an eight figure company now, right? Off the back of that, or seven separate businesses that build up to that, but everything comes through you know, effectively this type of medium, because what I'm doing here, speaking to you, getting value from you uh, is providing everything that everyone needs, right? So they could listen to you. They could listen to other podcast episodes I've done. The whole playbook, everything they need to take a business up to eight, nine, 10 figures is in the podcast, right? But of course, they don't just need that. They need other things around the side. But I, I think of that as partly a free resource because if you think about it, it's not, it's not like a hot dog at Costco, but it is still time right? Quite a lot of time invested, which also um, does, you know, great in terms of rapport build and the law of reciprocity, which you mentioned as well. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of principles are at work there. In other words, we're trying to allow people to engage low risk, uh, uh, all, you know, in some cases for free, it is their time. Um, but on the other side, the production to put this on, the production to bring me in, there's a, there's a lot of expense and cost here. Yeah. Uh, but the value is to say, hey, we'll, we'll put that out there so you can taste and try. And if you like it, there's more behind it. Um, and, and, and so uh, I, I, uh, I, I want companies to understand my principles are all about both attracting and filtering that perfect client profile. So you want to try to attract and then filter, uh, you know, if you don't uh, want to grow your company, if you don't want to make money with your company, if you don't want to create wealth, then maybe we're not a fit. If you do, we're a perfect fit. So I like it. Yeah. I like it. Very good. Very. It's, it's kind of like talking, talking to a mirror. Is that right? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's been laid up. Yeah. But you know, the, the point is we're, we're using different language and maybe terminology, but what's cool about it is we're saying very similar things because this stuff works, right? You know, it's really, really good. The, the, the principles are rock solid. What, what I've spent almost 20 years now, Nick, doing is proving there is a sequence. There is a roadmap mm. that unlocks. And, and I've got like a 97% uh, client satisfaction rating for just a little bit of time or effort investment, they've seen phenomenal returns because they understand it is a sequence and the principles are proven. And, and then one other quick point, it also destroys a lot of the myths and fables that are out there that spend money to make money. That, 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 that you've got to walk away from that myth and it's still being taught and told and sold out there. And, 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 and companies every day, they're getting these requests. Oh, let me help you grow your business. Let me help you uh, spend money with my SEO and, I'll, and maybe you'll, business will grow or spend money with my marketing firm, maybe your business will grow. And so um, it might, if it's an investment, if you're ready for them, it's an investment. I like it. Okay. We're up to three, which I think was go to market ready. Yeah. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no ready. <laughs> oh, we've lost the, we've lost the ready now. Okay. We're, so we're, okay, we're, we're, we're in the battle. <laughs> okay. So the go to market stuff, we've probably touched a little bit on some of this, I think in the previous couple yeah, of minutes as well, but the big aha, I think, well, a couple of things. One of them is I'm, I try to transition people out of thinking of marketing and selling to grow their business. That world has changed. Today, it's the enterprise creating demand, the enterprise working to convert demand. But a couple of things in there. And one of them is one of the chapters is on pipeline management. For those companies that are in B2B that, that have to manage a complex sales cycle, um, you, uh, learning how to not manage a pipeline, but learning how to accelerate contacts through a pipeline is the game changer. Mm, I like that. And, and, I like and, that a lot. And, and, and too many people are focused on 
the uh, Salesforce automation tools and the contact management tools. I'm saying that's all great, but that's a report and repository. You, you have to understand, and everything should be centered around how fast do you go from they went into the pipeline, the contact, how fast did they convert to a contractor client? And, and, and it's that acceleration. And, oh, I got to share a statistic with you. It's just embarrassing in the, in the B2B complex sales world. 98% of all complex sales get smaller, weaker, lower margin at the end of the sales cycle. That's, so that, unpack that. Let's unpack that a bit because I think I love the I love the reduction of friction through the through the pipeline. Yeah, like so, I love the idea of like accelerating pace and getting velocity. But yeah, so you I don't feel, want that to turn into you don't want that to turn into diminished, you know, return. Right. So take that. Explain yeah, that. Yeah, we don't we don't want we don't. It's embarrassing. What what happens is, and I've I've done thousands of formal win loss reviews, some of them for billion dollar contracts, and and it's fascinating how as they get closer to negotiations. The seller starts giving things up, giving things away, accepting lower margins, yeah, okay. making the dealer smaller. Um, and, and so what they're actually doing, this is fascinating. This is a phenomenon that your audience has to stop. They actually are buying the business. They're not winning the business because they're giving things away. Their margins, the deal, the terms, they're giving those things away to get the business. They're not selling. They're not. Convinced. So what's happening there? So and I, I get the, because I've seen this, it's sometimes called bonus stacking in, in certain worlds. I, I used to work in magazines where we would stick yeah. a big plastic piece of, yeah. I won't say the word, on the front cover of a magazine and everyone would buy the piece of plastic to try and sell more copies of the magazine, right? Now, that's not a bad strategy for what we were trying to do, which I can get into if it's in, but, but, but why, why is that happening? Why does the salesperson feel they have to do that? There's obviously a mismatch yeah, between yeah. the value equation. So it's because, and this is so embarrassing, that almost all sales are predicated on three things, and, and the, the wrong things, the product, the price, or the personality of the person trying to sell. Th those are totally flawed premises. That's not a that's a personal relationship, not a business relationship. So what happens at the end of a complex sales cycle, meaning multiple steps, multiple buyers, um, they're leveraging price or their product or their personality, which has almost no leverage. Instead, what they're giving up is they're not leveraging the value. They're not leveraging the value proposition, the strategic value or impact that their offering is going to have on their client's services. Therefore, they give it all up. It just happened yesterday. A client sent me an email and he said, Kent, that $150,000 contract that we were working on at 50%, this was like two days ago, we were working on, uh, they bought it today for, or for 200, uh, it was 150,000. They bought it today for $230,000. It was at 50% a few days ago, uh, probability. And, and it was just to sign or close at 150,000. And we strategized and talked through it. And he just sent me the email that said, we got the contract. They agreed. They didn't look at any other competitors and they actually bought the upper tier of $230,000. So, so now all of a sudden that, that that's the whole premise and whether it's, well, let's unpack that. Can we, can we, can we, What's let's that? unpack that. Let's unpack that a little bit without going into any confidentiality. Yeah. Cause I think this is right. an input. I like to, I like to sort of case study stuff when it's interesting for yes. people and particularly if we haven't covered it before. So, so just so I can understand it. Right. So yeah. there's a, a proposition, right. A packaged, um, whatever, whatever the product is for 150 K. Right. Yes. And, you know, there we're at the latter stages of the pipeline. Right. And then the thing has increased. What's that? 50% increase. Yeah. Almost 50%. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and so uh, we were strategizing on that particular deal that they, they had several we were working on and um, in the, it was in the pipeline projected to be a $150,000 contract and it would close in the next two to three weeks. Everything was tracking right, but all the yeah. principles and I've been working with this company for years, uh, all the principles we applied 
um, about pipeline acceleration, we had prevented, in this case, we didn't have to knock the competitors out. We prevented them, uh, the buyer, from wanting to look at other competitors. And, and that's, a, that's a key component to pipeline acceleration. When the buyer feels that they have enough information, they can make a decision. The reason that nine out of 10 deals um, don't accelerate, but actually it's like a freight train taking a dirt road, is because the buyer's confused, they're not sure, they don't have enough information, they haven't looked around, they haven't been able to do a comparative analysis. That slows opportunities down. The sooner the buyer doesn't need to make choices, the sooner they make a decision. So that was the first uh, key point in here. Uh, the second one was uh, the fact that we packaged up, uh, here was the contractor agreement. However, here's an additional package if you want to do some other things, some development, some other things. Here, here was a, a, a higher fee to do that. And, and the buyer uh, with the confidence said, you know, it just makes sense. Let's just go ahead and do the whole thing now. So not only did the, the opportunity happen faster, there were no competition. They didn't have to discount or lower their prices and the, and the opportunity got bigger. And, and, and that's the beauty behind all of this is when you can scale your sales to where they're bigger, they're better, they're higher margin, and you can do them two to three times faster, you're creating phenomenal wealth inside your business. And whether it's small or billion dollar company, that's how you create wealth. Okay, awesome. And, and just to finish on that last point, so we're partly, it's, it's partly the positioning and the explanation. It used to be called, I don't want to dumb it down, objection handling, right? But the idea is that you are very clear exactly what problem is being solved. The customer is very clear or the client is very clear on exactly that. So the friction is therefore removed. And if it's a meaningful enough problem, I'm just yeah. trying, I'm trying to, because again, okay. there's different level of people listening here. Yeah. I want to be, yeah. I want people to understand that. Yeah. So let me unpack that because it's so important. And, and old school was uh, handling objections. The new school is managing resistance issues, but there's a higher game to play. That yeah. higher game is when you leverage and lead with value, when, when you, when you mutually build a strategic value proposition with your clients that they buy off on, the, the, the contract, the deal consummates almost naturally and very quickly. And, and, and so in this case, uh, it was working through not pushing their product or service, but, but discussing through and agreeing on the impact the product or service would have on the company. And it's almost the company can't say no. The client says, now that I see what this will do for us, I, I can't say no. The, the greatest mistake the, the entrepreneurs and business owners make out there is they push their product and service. The buyer at the end of the day doesn't care. The buyer only cares the impact the product or service will have on them. That's what you must be marketing and selling and creating demand using. Got it. Nice. Okay. We went a little bit more deeper. That will help everybody. <laughs> okay. So the last, the last stage I'm going to call world domination. You call it something else, but it's, it's really taking ownership of, of the space, right? And, and the re just before we get into it, yeah. the, the thing that occurred to me when we spoke about a little while ago um, was a little bit about niching in to some extent. Like, so it fit, it fitted to me a little bit earlier in the, in the sequence on the idea that if you can absolutely dominate a micro niche, right? You know, and I've got examples of, you know, seven figure businesses being built within a few months from doing this. That idea of dominating can happen maybe earlier as opposed to building yeah. a war machine. So, so let's play let with go, that a bit. Yeah, let me go back because you bring up a great point, Nick. And let me go back to um, uh, in market ready in your perfect client profile targeting. If you really do that section well, you've narrowed your segment or niche down to a number. Now your niche can be 
dictated by scope or scale that links back to the fundamental marketplace problem. And, 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 and so this is where the sequencing is so important and you gotta follow the roadmap. But once you understand the scope and scale and then you identify, okay, here's where we wanna play and either by geography or by market or by demographic, how, wherever we want to play. Then in this latter stage, this is where now you're focused on, can we conquer that space? Can we conquer that segment? Can we conquer that territory? Can we conquer that play within a list of services? And, and, and the key in, in this phase in, in domination is, let me dial back just for a second. People freak out over that. Uh, dominating, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I'm Australian. I like to use big words. Well, right? let me, well, I, I think it's the emotional. Well, I just you're from Texas. Care. Come on, you're from Texas, Ken. We can, you know, <laughs> that's where they've got massive cowboy hats and stakes yes. and all sorts of cool stuff. Well, there, there are people out there that they kind of cringe at that. And, and here's how I position it. Remember, you every day your competitors wake up. You have competitors that wake up every day working to put you out of business. So, so if, if you're not focused on trying to own your space, somebody else will, and you're not going to fit anymore. So, so get yeah, over too. domination. But the key there is now uh, understanding the marketplace and understanding where the players fit so that you can articulate to the buyer uh, the different models and, and where the choices fit. Because at the end of the day, the buyer has to know that. For the buyer to make a decision, the buyer has to know, well, what are my choices? Where do they fit? And then in a complex sale, I got to go sell it to a committee or I've got to sell it to my boss or I've got to sell it to somebody else internally. Uh, if you don't help me understand where everybody fits and why you're the best fit, I might make the wrong or I usually will make the wrong decision. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so let's play a little bit now with this last piece. Yeah. So what are some of the other components? So if someone is going to absolutely, we'll use the word dominate because we've now introduced it. That's the word. Um, and, and also I'd like to touch on this in um, the perspective of sustainability, not sustainability from an econ economic, but like how does a business become sustainable as well at this stage? Perfect. And, and so there's a whole chapter, what I call blueprinting optimization. And, and, and so there's strategic planning and there's creating long-term vision. I think those are all great. I do a lot of that work at, at, as required or wanted. But more important is how do you blueprint your future? You touched on a point earlier that's so critical. Fundamental marketplace problems evolve. The, 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 the issue five years ago is maybe not the issue today. And, and so your model, your messaging, your market ready, your go-to-market is at some point in time out of alignment. You've got to go back and get that into alignment, but you can't wait till it happens. You've got to do it today. And I use a, a lot of examples of restaurants just because everybody eats at them. Um, that, that well, they, used, they used to. They used to eat at well, now they're getting takeout. But. That, and that's the point. They used to because the fundamental marketplace problem was I want this kind of food in my neighborhood. And, and, and when I worked in England and I'm out in the villages, I got to tell you, the best Chinese, the best Indian food in the world was out in the villages. I love it. They are. They're in little council estates, like, you know, but they're perfect, aren't they? Exactly. Because people, <laughs> they can afford to live there. They can't like yeah. this afford to live in London. So there's lots of, there's lots of benefits. I, I, you know, once I got my fish and chips, now I'm ready for Chinese and Indian. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. You places. know, it. it is that they are the only three staples you can buy, like in any provincial town in, in England. Right. But it's all, it's all good. And they are exceptional. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and, and, and so I talked through those those restaurants that, that their whole revenue stream back to revenue ready, their whole revenue stream was walk in traffic. They, they have been slaughtered today. They've been demolished. They've been, they've been toyed with, played with. They've so many have shut down. And my point being, those those uh, uh, restaurants that, that really built into their operations takeout or they they partnered with a strategic firm to do door delivery 
a year ago or two years ago, or those that 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 figured out, hey, I can make a lot more money in catering. I'm going to start a side catering business. Those are the ones that were blueprinting their optimization a few years ago, and they're surviving today. And 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 that's my whole point of that chapter because the FMP, oh, there's no uh, Indian food in my village. Well, now that place has been closed. Oh, but I could get takeout or I could get delivery or, you know what, they'll cater events. I'll have them come to my company. Um, that's blueprinting optimization and being prepared for the future because the FMPs go away or they evolve. And, and, and you have to do that. And, it, and it's interesting. When I, when I work with large corporations, Nick, the billion dollar firms, they all have these uh, initiatives to transform and change. But there's some almost like an international law that says, if you're smaller than 100 million, you can't have a major initiative. Just market, sell your products and services and shut up. I don't know why. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to share with people in this chapter is, no, you should be working on transforming all the time. You should be working and looking at where's the model going? How is the FMP evolving? So we're there before anybody else. Because one thing we all know is, is change is not only out there, it's, it's accelerating its speeds and intensity. We never expected. And I can tell you right now with, with, with strong conviction, it's not going to slow down and it's not going to go away. And those that understand that and prepare for the future of how things will be different will be doing really well. And those that don't are, 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 are going to be looking for uh, government handouts and, 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 and loans and yeah. things like that. And, and they shouldn't have to if they have great products and services. No, but a lot of people don't. I mean, we've seen this the last 12 months, if it's done anything, it's kind of shine a light, if you like, on on businesses that have followed, you know, structures and process and sequences like yours, you know, and then the ones that just haven't been prepared. So listen, what I'm going to do, um, I've got a couple more questions for you. Yes. Right. And, um, and I always like to ask some interesting questions to finish up with. So what's, in, in your career, Kent, you know, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And if you want to, please share who gave it to you. Yeah, if, uh, if, if the audience knows who Ross Perot was, he died last year. He, he, he was the gentleman that actually invented or created outsourcing. It was, it was called facilities management in the 60s. I, w I went to work for Ross. And, 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 and Ross, uh, I'm, one time in the hall, I was a nervous wreck meeting him. We were already, I don't know, 50,000 employees. I, I met him in the hall and had my name tag on so I couldn't run. And, um, and uh, we were talking and, and he shared with me, he said that the, the, the real key to business success is learn how to solve problems. The, the mm. more complex, the more challenging the problem, the greater the value you bring. And, and I'll never forget that. I will never, ever forget that. And, 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 and that's the premise of my work today. That's the premise for the last 25 years. That's the premise of what I think accelerated me through the corporations up to executive levels. It's helped my clients today. I always start with the problem. Uh, what's broken? Why isn't it being fixed? And what's the best way to do it? But if you think about the simplicity of that as well, like, you know, and, and uh, I think Elon Musk sort of says that the bigger the problem, the bigger the paycheck yes. <laughs> as well, right? Yeah, you know, if you can solve a really big, meaningful problem in the world, yeah. you know, wealth is going to flow towards you for sure. Yeah. And, and the key there for the audience is look at your business. What problem are you really solving? And are you being paid to solve it? In most cases, you're not. You're, you're trading those dollars for time or hours or your product or service. You should be uh, paid for the impact uh, to the problem that you're solving. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, that, and I remember when I was in my, my private equity days, I was paid for the difference between what the business was worth when I came in, which was underwater versus the um, value I could attribute getting it 
either back to zero, believe it or not, back to what it was worth uh, or paid for, sorry, or then what it could be. But that that's a very lucrative piece because <laughs> oh. it's painful when a business is underwater. No, no investors like that. Oh, yeah. But 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 the incentive's there for everybody. You you get it uh, oh, yeah. turned right side up and you get a piece of the action. The revenue sharing is, is awesome. It's a great model. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I got a piece of the action even getting it back, as I said, zero. So so as far as I was concerned, it wasn't for, for them. That was a painful and still is to this day, a painful piece as much as the, the growth is is an exceptionally exciting piece. But either way, they're, they're very crisp problems to be solved. So, yeah. all right. Last couple of questions for you, Kent. So the last, the second to last question is what's the worst piece of advice? And you don't have to share who gave this to you because most people don't want to kind of throw their mate or their parent yeah. <laughs> under the bus. Yeah. Ah. Is there a piece of advice that you've been given? You thought that was really crap and I kind of either followed it or whatever. So, so like so many of us that, that you know, you come from a, a, a family with a strong work ethic, that there's the belief that if you work hard, it will pay off. It, mm. it will. Um, but um, working hard uh, and, and success uh, isn't the strong correlation that it used to have. And, and, and so the businesses, the entrepreneurs that, that, that sacrifice their health, their hours and, and burn themselves out and grind out their employees thinking that, oh, that's what's going to turn into money or create wealth. That, that's a myth today. Those, those days are gone. Uh, and, and, and even working harder or working smarter, you're still working. You've got to, you've got to make the company work for you. And what I mean by that, there are sleepy areas inside every company. We just talked through packaging and targeting and messaging and competitive management. We just talked through those areas that are sleepy in almost every company. If you can wake those areas up, your company can make a lot more money and you don't have to work an extra hour. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I'm a big believer in leverage for me, which has got different definitions, but, yeah. but um, you know, I, I tend to do the stuff I love and I'm good at, and then I outsource everything else. Yeah. And, and, I've and, been and, and that's a great, that's a great model. Yeah. And, and nothing wrong with that. And I'm, and I'm not attacking working hard. I'm just saying uh, you do need to leverage every part of your enterprise today. It, it, the yeah. margin's too thin for success. Yeah. Alrighty. Last question is, um, well, first and foremost, buy the book, everybody. So we're going, to, we're going to go through the cool title again, Entrepreneur to Millionaire, How to Build a Highly Profitable, Fast Growth Company and Become Embarrassingly Rich Doing It. And we discussed what embarrassing means, and that was a bit of fun today. Um, where can people find you, Kent, if they want to connect, they want to ask questions? Uh, obviously, the book will be released. It's been released already, hasn't it? Uh, I think it's March 9th in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I was looking at February in the U S yeah, okay. It's fine. So come shipping here. And just so you know, real quick, uh, the, the, the person that wrote the forward is a, a self-made multi-billionaire. And, and, and so uh, he asked me, he goes, why don't you call it entrepreneur to billionaire? And I said, I haven't made many of them yet, maybe down the road. So let me oh, aspirational. Come on. Like, you know, there's, there's something like in the, in the UPS report, there's 2,200 billionaires in the world. People kind of don't realize how many billionaires there actually oh. are. And then someone said to me the other day, there's actually a lot more, but just no one ever references the research. <laughs> Well, they're, they're embarrassingly rich. <laughs> embarrassingly rich. So where can uh, where can people uh, reach out to you, Ken? Go to uh, directly at info at revenuegrowthcompany.com. And uh, my website's revenuegrowthcompany.com. And there's resources out there. And uh, and, and, and uh, I'll hopefully have a link up uh, soon on the on the link to the UK website. But Amazon has, has the book shipping uh, soon out there. And uh, I, I think the real key, uh, Nick, is that 
this is a team effort. Even though it says entrepreneur and a millionaire, and you could think, well, it's just about the owner or the entrepreneur making the money. Now, you should have everyone in your company becoming millionaires with their money, their retirement, how they earn money. Um, you should measure yourself as a successful entrepreneur as how much you help others uh, be successful and how much you give back to the community and society. I like that. And I love the idea. I often say when I go into businesses, you've got to ask the question, what's in it for everyone, right? You know, because a leader standing up and talking about shareholder value and all this sort of stuff is, is one thing, one dimension, but the person who's coming in every day, you know, committing their time to the vision, to the values, you've got to be clear on that. So fully agree. All right. Well, listen, we are done. Thank you for your time. Um, great conversation. So much alignment as well. So it was, but I love just to call it out. I love the way you articulate this with a level of um, simplicity um, and a level of precision so people can kind of get it. Cause I think a lot of the concepts, they are simple, but lots of entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders make them more difficult than they have. So, so yeah, I definitely picked up on that during today's conversation. So thank you very much. Oh, great. I, I really enjoyed talking with you, Nick. Awesome. I hope we, hope we can help a lot of entrepreneurs. Indeed. Thank you. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.